So this morning, I want to start out by playing a little game with you, okay? I'm going to read a list of words, and I want you to think about and tell me what do they all have in common. You ready? Here we go. Loser. Critical. Coward. Unreliable. Liar. Lazy. Stupid. Homewrecker. Bible thumper. Probably could have had about 10 more slides, but just these words alone. Do you know what they all have in common? They are all labels that we either put on others or they put on us or even at times we give to ourselves. Right? Maybe, maybe you are known as the loser, right? You're, you're known as the one who lost the game. You missed the shot. You missed the goal. You missed the bucket. Even if it was 20 years ago, that's what a lot of people remember you for. You blew it. You lost. And that label has stuck. Maybe some of you, you've gotten the label of critical. Maybe you're the one at the workplace that seems a bit critical or you're critical with your family and, and, and maybe you don't even always do it, but, but that's how you're perceived now. You're, you're the demanding, critical one that, that nothing's ever good enough for and that label's been put on you. Maybe for some of you it's coward. You were in a situation where you had a chance to stand up and defend somebody, but you did nothing. You said nothing, you didn't have their back, and now in someone's mind, they have put that label coward on you. Maybe some of you, people think you're a liar. Maybe you only did it once, 20 years ago, but it was a big one, and, and now they just think of you as someone who cannot be trusted. You are a liar. Maybe some of us, it's Bible thumper. We love Jesus and we want to share him, but sometimes we don't always share him in a loving way. And, and so people just kind of look at us as, as hypocrites who's just shoving your Jesus down our throat. And they've labeled you a Bible thumper. Maybe you broke some promises to your kids. And years later, they're grown and, and they don't always trust you. Maybe you're the one who wrecked your marriage. It was your fault. It was your actions that crossed the line. And that's why that marriage dissolved. And now you got a label. You know by experience that, that labels are really, really, really hard to shake. The labels we put on others, the labels others maybe put on us, or the labels we even tell ourselves in our own minds, they're really hard to break. Well, this morning, if we're talking labels, we're meeting up with a guy who got a label. A label that has stuck for 2,000 years. He can't shake it. No matter what he does, he can't get rid of it, right? If you know anything about the Apostle Thomas, it's probably one thing. All right? Let's play one more game. If I say Thomas, you would say? Thomas. 
boom, it's like it's his first name. It's Doubting Thomas, right? His first name's Doubting, his last name's Thomas. That's what everybody thinks of when they first think of Thomas, which is kind of, kind of sad because he wasn't always the doubter. We're not going to look at all the different passages that talk about Thomas today, but there was a time when Jesus is ready to go to Jerusalem and die, and Thomas says, hey, guys, let's go with him so that we may die with him. That's not doubt. That's boldness, right? But what do we remember 2,000 years later? We remember Thomas's doubts. That label's stuck. Now, there's good reason for it, because Thomas did doubt. Now, he wasn't there. On that first Easter evening, when the disciples were all together, Thomas was the one who, who left. We don't know where he went. We don't know why he wasn't there. But scripture says he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the rest of them. And so Jesus shows up. Hey, guys, I'm alive. And they're overjoyed. But Thomas didn't hear it. He didn't see it. And so when Thomas comes back to the room probably expecting to find the same situation he left. People scared, people sad, people doubting. They all say, Tom, you're never going to believe it. We saw him. What do you mean? Jesus, we saw him. He was here. He's alive. He, he, he did what he said he would do. The resurrection, it's legit, man. And Thomas? He doubts. Now, I don't think there's anyone in here that... that can't relate to Thomas. We, we, we understand where his doubts come from, right? He experienced the same gut-wrenching things the other disciples had experienced. His friend, his teacher, his rabbi, his, what he thought was his savior, had been crucified and he was now dead and he was sad. And so he doubted. He doubted the disciples he doubted their sanity. He doubted Jesus' own words. And he wasn't going to believe it unless he got some, no doubt about it, actual proof that Jesus is alive. And so Thomas makes his demands. Hey, guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Again, we can't really blame Thomas, can we? I mean, Thomas was a practical guy living in a practical world who had just been crushed by the death of his friend and savior. And Thomas knew some, a fundamental fact that everyone here knows. When people die, they usually stay dead. None of us have ever gone to a funeral and seen the deceased loved one get back up and walk out and go home. And so Thomas knew Jesus was dead. He knows dead people don't come back to life. And so in Thomas's mind, he's not going to make matters worse. It's bad enough, the emotions and everything that's happening, but he's not going to make it worse by believing some, some pipe dream of maybe he's alive unless he actually gets proof. And so, Thomas doubts. You know, I said it's unfortunate that, that Thomas gets that label because I think at some level all of us, we feel him on that, right? 
we've been in Thomas's shoes. We've had our doubts. Different ones, maybe, but we've had them. Maybe some of us have some theological doubts. You know the kind I'm talking about? The kind that say, well, how do we know that this book right here is really the truth? Because there's a lot of books like this. There's a lot of books that make a lot of spiritual claims. How do we know this is the book? And there is no other like Jesus says. How do we know for sure if God's really true? We've never actually seen him in person like the disciples. Or how do we know he's really as good as he says he is? Because then why do bad things happen even to God's children? And so we doubt. Or we join Thomas, we know what Jesus says about the resurrection, but, but none of us have actually ever seen somebody come back to life in person. And so maybe those doubts creep in, and we wonder and we hope against hope, is this even true? I think at some point we all have those theological doubts. I know I have as a pastor. But... I would guess and I would bet that your doubts go even deeper than that. They get more personal. Maybe some of you are wondering, could God actually forgive me for that? Right, we know the Bible says a sin's a sin's a sin, but man, this is a pretty bad one. And we wonder if God could actually forgive us for that, right? Maybe you were the one who destroyed your marriage. You crossed the line, you destroyed it. Could God forgive me for that? Maybe you were the one that wrecked that relationship with your kid or your coworker or someone here at church by your words and actions, and you wonder, could I be forgiven for that? Maybe it's something else that has haunted you for years. And you know what Jesus says, right? You know he loves you, he forgave you, but then there's times where you're like, but, but maybe not for that one. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I've had people tell me before, you know, Pastor, I, I can't come to church. Why is that? Well, if I walk through the doors, the roof would cave in. Have you ever heard someone say that? I have many times. You know what kind of the point is? They think in their own minds they're so bad God couldn't forgive that sin or those people in the church will somehow judge and push me away. I better not walk into church at all. And they doubt. Or maybe you doubt your, your worth. You know what God says about you, but, but sometimes you wonder if it's really true because you hear a different message out in the world. Or some of you, you've stood at the, the, the foot of a, a grave of a loved one, you've washed his dirt, was thrown on, and you know Jesus says, I live. But in that moment, at that time, when you're saying goodbye to your spouse, to your friend, to your child, to your grandparent or parent, you're not so sure. Or maybe it's the times where, you know, Jesus says, right, in like Romans 8, we're more than conquerors, but you look at the world, you look at your own life sometimes, and you're like, man, it looks like there's a lot more losing than winning going on, Jesus. You say I'm on the winning team, but I'm not seeing it. 
And so you doubt. Or maybe you doubt if it really even matters what you do, how you live, what you say. Does it really matter in the end? Am I really making any difference? Thomas doubted. We have our doubts. And and I know we don't want to admit it. It's kind of scary to admit it at church, but we all at times wrestle with doubt just like Thomas did. And that's why I'm glad you're here. So I'm glad you're watching online because there's a remedy. Jesus is the remedy to overcome all of your doubts. We have his word on it. Did you know that every single person God had write the Bible, this book right here, every human being that God used to put his word on paper to give to you and me had doubts. Every single one of them. They had doubts, they had fears, they had sins, they struggled, they weren't perfect. Every single one of them. And I don't have time to go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. But think about this. Just in this story alone that we're looking at, John Matthew, Peter, James, guys that wrote half of the New Testament doubted the resurrection the very first time they heard about it and even two or three times. They doubted. They didn't believe. So what would Jesus do? How is he going to address his friends and their doubt? Because think about it again. They doubted Jesus. They doubted Jesus' promises. They doubted Jesus' love. They doubted Jesus' words. They were doubting God because Jesus is God. How would Jesus handle it? How's Jesus going to handle us? Is he going to scold us? Is he going to chew us out? Maybe maybe bend us over his knee and give us a spiritual butt whooping because we didn't listen, we didn't follow, we didn't obey, we didn't believe. Is he going to fire us? Tell us we can't be on his team anymore because we didn't trust him. We actually doubted him. Is he going to let us sit in the filth of our own sins and wallow with our own worries and doubt? I mean, he would have every right to do all those things to us. Because time and again, God has come to you and to me. He said, this is it. This is the truth. This is who I am. I love you. I died for you. I saved you. And we've doubted. Listen to what Jesus says to Thomas. The Apostle John tells us that a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and now Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Right, we talked about that last week when, when Jesus came the first time, he repeats it again Peace be with you. That, that word literally means reconciliation. Right? If you were in life group, maybe you talked about that. Peace, reconciliation, right? Jesus says, I'm here. I died. I rose. I save you. You are shalom, peace with God because I paid for your sins. So Jesus shows up again and he reassures them, peace be with you. It's going to be okay, guys, because I did what I said I would do and I died. And now we get to my favorite part of the whole story. Jesus goes right up to Thomas. It's as if they're the only two in the room. He says, Tom, put your finger here. See my hands, Thomas. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. 
Stop doubting and belief. Amazing, isn't it? God doesn't single Thomas out to rebuke him in front of everybody. He doesn't say, well, Thomas, why did you doubt me? He didn't scold him. He didn't fire him from being one of the apostles. Jesus, in love, went to Thomas and invited him to come touch, to see, and to believe it's true. I died, I rose, it's real, and you're saved. And Jesus overcame Thomas's doubts with that resurrection reality. Do you know that Jesus does the same for you? He does. Now I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I've never seen you. No. I guarantee none of us have ever had a Thomas experience where Jesus showed up and said, go ahead. Would that be cool, though? But he still comes to you. He comes to you through his word. Every time it is read, every time it's proclaimed, every time it is preached and shared, Jesus is coming to you and inviting you to come to touch, to see, to know, and to believe. Scared about the future? Jesus comes and says, I got it. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I, I, I got a plan for you, plan to prosper you, not to harm you, plan to give you hope in a future. I got this. It's going to be all right. Scared and wondering if God could really forgive you for that thing you did yesterday, a year ago, 20 years ago? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't doubt. I paid for it. See, I got the nail holes to prove it. I died on the cross to pay for your sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. They're gone and you are free. Doubting if, if you'll ever measure up or if you'll ever be enough, Jesus says, you're already enough because I've made you enough. You are my child. I purchased you. I won you on the cross. You belong to me. You are a son and daughter of the king. Don't doubt but believe. Right, whatever our doubts are, you know what Jesus does to us through his word? It's, a, it's like, just like with Thomas. He grabs us by the hand and he takes us to the cross and he says, that's the extent of my love. I paid for your sins. I made you mine. I'm yours and you're mine. You don't have to doubt and be afraid. Stop doubting, it's okay. And then if that's not enough, then he takes us to, to a cemetery and he takes us to the entrance to a tomb and he says, go ahead, take a look. Go inside, you can look. I'm not there. I'm not there because I'm alive. Just like I said I would. To love you, to forgive you, to rule and reign over all things for you. It's gonna be okay. Stop doubting and belief. Our friends, whenever we're overcome with doubt, and we're going to have moments in our life where we struggle with it, Jesus has come to me. <laughs> All you who are weary, burdened, and, and doubting, and fearful, and, and I'll give you rest. Now, part of me wanted to say amen at this point, but, but I feel like if, I'm, if I said amen too quick, what's going to happen is you're going to leave here and you're going to have the same doubts you did before you came this afternoon already. 
because that's easy to do. It's easy to slip back into that. And so if I could, as we close today, I want to give you two practical things that God says you can do when doubt comes knocking at your door. The next time doubt strikes, number one, turn to Jesus. Now maybe that seems like a no-brainer, but here's the reality that all of us struggle with. When we're filled with doubt, when we're worried, when we're scared, when we're struggling, oftentimes the first person we go to is not Jesus. We go to a spouse, we go to a friend, we go to a family member, we we go to our, our favorite podcast or politician or spiritual guru. We don't actually go to Jesus first. And so Jesus says, come to me first before you go anywhere else, because I won't lead you astray. Come to me. So when doubt strikes, first thing you can do, run as fast as you can to Jesus, who's already running to you to help. That leads me to number two. Actually read the Bible. Actually read the Bible. You know, one of the sad things I've encountered in 13 years of being a pastor is to realize that most people are not actually reading the Bible on any kind of regular, consistent basis. And I know statistics take it with a grain of salt, but everyone I've read over the last 13 years says anywhere from 70 to 85% of Christians are not reading the Bible regularly. Think about that. That means when doubt and fear and hurt and pain and suffering come, three out of every four Christians, their default is not to open up God's word, it's to go somewhere else. Read the Bible. Because that's where Jesus promises to come to you to overcome your, your fears. And there's a million ways you can do this, right? There really are. Get a Bible app. Download one of those apps on your phone. And you know what's crazy about these Bible apps, at least the one I have, is I can look at like John 20, like we read today, and I can even hit play and somebody reads it to me. I don't even have to read it. Somebody reads it for me. But whether you do that or you get a hard copy, actually read it when you need help to see what Jesus has to say to you. Or another thing you can do, you can join that starting point class. We just started. We're, anybody's welcome to come because you know what we do in starting point? We go through hundreds, and I'm not kidding you when I say hundreds of passages of Jesus which talk about who we are, who he is, and what he's done to save us. Another option, join one of those life groups. We just got done with our first round of life groups, and man, I, I gotta tell you, I'm so pumped and blown away. 77%, I kinda like percentages, I'm kind of a nerd that way, but 70%, 77% of people who, who come to church on a Sunday, 77% of them are locked into a life group. That statistic blows most churches away. That's amazing, that's awesome. Join a life group. When we started up in a couple weeks, join a life group because there in that life group, what's going to happen? You're going to open up the Bible and you're going to read it and Jesus is going to come to you and he's going to remind you of all these things. And you're going to have other people who can love you and help you and hold you accountable and push you a little bit and encourage you, hey, go to Jesus. In fact, one of the comments on the survey that we just point out for those who are in life group, oh, again, love it. 
Loved everything about Life Group. The best part was I was actually in the Bible for the first time in a long time. <laughs> Amen, right? That's where God wants us to be. Maybe another thing you can do, after the pastor says amen, don't just run out these doors. Stick around. Stay for Bible class. Take your kids to the foot of Jesus at the Sunday school classrooms so that you can hear what Jesus has done for you so that you won't doubt but believe, right? And, and if all else fails, call me. If you need help, I'll read it with you. But do whatever it takes to get into the word of God because there Jesus promises to come to us and to speak into our doubts and fears as only he can. You know, one of the things I've learned as a father, and you parents can relate to this, or grandparents, you've been there, is kids doubt a lot. They ask a lot of questions. They doubt, they're not so sure, and that often turns into fear, right? They hear a noise at night, and they get scared. They see a shadow, and it's got to be a monster in the closet or underneath the bed, and it doesn't really always matter what a parent says. They're not so sure. They're doubting, right? Well, you know one thing that really helps with that? It's knowing that there's somebody right there, right in the next room, right down the hall, who will come at a moment's notice, no matter how many times you cry out, no matter how many times you get scared, no matter how many times you doubted your own mom and dad saying it's going to be okay, they're still there to love you, to wrap their arms around you, to tell you it's going to be okay, to dry your tears and to remove your doubts. That's your Jesus. Always there. Always willing and able to help. Always pursuing you in love to remind you of the truth. That he loves you. That he died for you. <laughs> that the tomb's empty and he lives for you. And that he's forgiven, forgiven you. And you have nothing to be afraid of. Because you're his. So with Jesus' help, friends, stop doubting. And believe. Amen. Amen.